0: Matthew chapter 6 this morning. We're currently going through a series that I've entitled Five to Thrive. Considering five areas that will cause you to thrive in your walk with God if you will practice these five areas faithfully. The five areas, again, are Bible, prayer, church, giving, witnessing. These are foundational to our faith. This is not something magical that we arrive to down the road. This is what, once we're saved and in the family, God expects us to be doing now. We've already discussed the need for Bible, prayer, and church. We need this every day. Amen. We need to be in the Word of God. We need to be in prayer. And we need to be assembled when the doors are open. Listen, if you missed any of the sermons so far, to include the introduction to this series... I highly encourage you to go back, listen to those. And um, you can do so through Facebook, our podcast, and our website. So for today, I want you to grab a hold of something right now. I don't want you to fall out of your chair. I don't want you to accidentally gain access to your wallet. But we're going to talk about giving today. Listen, we're not only Baptists, we're good Baptists. We talk about giving... I remember I was stationed in South Korea and my roommate, before Adrian came over and we got an apartment together, my roommate, my roommate Jeremy, he had grown up in, in Grants Pass, Oregon. And he had gotten to where he didn't like church because he said, it's all about money. I said, uh, brother, you just need to come to our church. We went to Weejambu Baptist Church. I said, you just need to come to our church. And guess what happened that night? At the very end of that sermon, Pastor Rick Kelly got up and said, we need $3,000. We've got to get the sound system fixed. Told you it was all about money. Of course, he doesn't understand. That's right. You're not here today on accident. Right. We're going to consider the need, to, the need of giving to your local church to thrive in your walk with God. I want to give the disclaimer again, once again this week, there is no way to exhaust any one of these topics in just one sermon. I've just been flying 30,000 feet over these topics, hoping to provoke thought. Maybe if you're weak in these areas, that you'll be encouraged to to strengthen those areas and fix whatever's lacking in your walk with God. So in Matthew chapter 6, you should be there by now. I want you to look with me as I read verses 19 through 24. "...lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness." If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now I realize giving money is not a very popular topic in churches, but the truth is, it ought to be very popular. This is where you say amen to act like you're a giver if you're not. You don't want to look guilty. The fact of the matter is giving is in the Bible. There's nothing wrong with preaching about giving financially to your local church. The problem is when it is handled wrong. For some, this issue has become very divisive. In some cases, understandably so because some have been wrongly called out by their pastor in the church, singled out, come up here, this person is not giving. That ain't right. I'm surprised that person's ever in church again. Just so you know, I've never looked at who gives and who doesn't. I would tell you that as pastor, I believe I have that right. But I've pushed that prerogative aside. I don't fault any pastor who does look, but it's something I've chosen not to do. For some, the topic of giving has been soured because they've seen financial abuses by church leaders. Pastors who have stolen money from the church into the hundreds of thousands. For this reason, I don't even have a key to the financial office. I don't know the password to that computer, and I can't access our account to my knowledge. It's not to say I don't take the oversight thereof. I do. I get a financial report every Monday of what has come in, but it's only the balances and not who's given what. And I'm telling you this because nobody in here can rightly say that I'm preaching at them. If you're convicted over this message, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you. Another common reason people get heartburn when money comes up is because many have believed the lie that the church only wants your money so the pastor can live large only working two days a week. I realize there are some charlatans out there, but listen, if the ministry were easy, people would be flocking to the ministry. Amen. <laughs> they aren't. Amen. Statistics are all over the place, but anywhere between 250 to 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month in America. One survey found that 60 to 80% of pastors will be done within 10 years. No, this isn't life on Ev- easy street, amen. Amen. I'm not driving around in fancy cars. Our newest car is our family car, a 2011 Expedition with over 200,000 miles on it, and it seems to be in the shop every quarter. Amen. My primary driver is the 97 Jeep Cherokee, over 200,000 miles on it. Now the back window won't roll up. Looking at you, Grant. You want to marry that girl? You come and fix my window. Actually, my, my true ministry mobile, I've got an 88 Honda CRX, It gets 40 to 45 miles to the gallon. And in these kind of gas prices, that'd be nice to get that thing fixed, but um, it's got over 250,000 miles on it. So listen, I'm not rolling around in Lincoln Continentals. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, I'm not getting rich off this. So are we clear? I don't know who gives, I don't have access to our church account. And I'm not profiting off this church. Disclaimer's out of the way, let's get to the message. Giving is in the Bible. So there's no reason to treat the subject like it's leprosy. Just as we would preach the need to be in your Bible, to be in prayer, to attend church, to witness to others, so we ought to sound forth the principle of giving in our churches. Just as often as we would the other ones. First, you need to understand that giving is God's plan and not the church's. We're not going to have time to get into all this this morning, but giving is God's way for the local church to be sustained, pay the staff, press forward with ministries, propagate the gospel, support missionaries, and help the needs of the poor, the widows, and the fatherless. That's what the Bible teaches. If you want verses, see me afterwards, I'll, I'll, I'll give those to you. There are many texts to choose from on the topic of giving, but I've chosen Matthew 6 this morning to emphasize that where your money goes reveals where your heart is at. Notice verse 21 again. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's a true statement. You've heard it said that if you show me your bank statements, I'll show you where your heart is at. Where is your money going? It isn't that we can't enjoy our money. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I believe it's biblical to do so based off of several passages in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 2.24, there's nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, that he should make his soul enjoy the good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. Ecclesiastes 3.13, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Ecclesiastes 5.18, Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the good hand of God upon your life as He blesses you, and you don't have to apologize for the blessings of God upon your life. The key is that we have biblical priorities when it comes to our money. I believe first you should give to your local church, pay your bills, take care of your needs, help others, and then pursue your wants. Here's here's the thing though, just be sure, however you prioritize, that God is first and your wants are last. So where are you laying up treasures? Upon this earth or in heaven? All that you can acquire on this earth, is going to be stolen or it's going to fail. That's what the text says. It's either going to become corrupted. My precious 1997 Cherokee that I love so dearly now has rust beginning to show in the back uh, quarter panel there, and it breaks my heart. You think I'm teasing? I'm not. I, that's my baby, amen? I, I mean, that's, that's my girl. And we've been together since I've been pastor, and now she's starting to rust out. I don't know about you, but I've had stuff stolen before. Doesn't that feel good? Listen, all these things that we spend our money on, it's going to fail you. It's going to all be burned up. The Bible says one day, and you can't take it with you. Adrian Rogers used to say, "You can't take it with you, but you can send stuff ahead." How do we do that? We give to God of our time, our talents, and yes, our treasures. And just to be clear, the word treasure here in our text is not some spiritually veiled meaning. It means your wealth. Amen. So don't try to twist this. Well, it really means, you know, just how much effort I did. No, it means your money. The context is clear. Verse 24 No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Say, what's mammon? It's money. It's money. The two masters here are God and money. Which one are you serving this morning? It reveals your heart because you're going to place one above the other. That's what it says. This is not my opinion. There's nothing wrong with having wealth, but it's wrong when wealth has you. 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil, and that when one covets after it, they have erred from the faith. So it's not about having an abundance, but it's how you use your money. Pastor Williams used to say this, "I pray that God will put in this hand what I can give away in this hand." It's how you use your money. And what, what preacher meant by that is you can't outgive God. As you give, he, he returns. People say, "I can't afford to give." Well, do you trust the word of God or not? Listen, I'm, I remember when I was there, for those of you that are struggling with this, I can remember October 1998. That was the very first time I wrote a tithe check in my life. and I, Lord, I can't afford this. Amen. Pastor Kelly preached a wonderful message on giving, convicted us. We both realized that we needed to start doing this. We wrote that first check in faith. I know what it's like. I've been there. I didn't just, you know, I wasn't born with a King James Bible in my hand and all this awesome knowledge and giving, okay? Um, I still had to grow in my faith and and, and I remember that day and, and luke six thirty eight tells us Give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give into your bosom with the same measure that ye meet withal it shall be measured to you again. I love this passage proverbs three, nine and ten. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the firstfruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Proverbs 19.17, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Proverbs twenty two nine. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. And we can't do a sermon without mentioning Malachi 3, verses 10 and 11. Bringing all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, Improve me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. Now I want you to listen to this list of blessings. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So God's Word is very clear, amen. There's blessings in giving. It is better to give than to receive. Why then are we so hesitant to give? Typically, the last thing that a child of God gives over to God is their money. That's usually the last thing that God gets. Why is this the case? I believe it may be because it's so tangible. We have to act. We have to bring it into the church house. We have to give it away. It's something that we do, and I believe because of that, we think in our mind, well, I could use this money for this. Amen. Listen, it's all a matter of your heart if you won't hesitate to give your money for the things that will depreciate and can, that you can't take with you when you die, if you'll spend your money on all that, but you won't give to God who saved your soul from hell, then what does that say about your heart towards God? Listen, I'm your friend this morning, believe it or not. The bottom line is, if you're not giving to God, your heart isn't right and you'll never thrive in your walk with God. Now, when giving comes up in churches like ours, almost without fail, the conversation turns to Is the tithe for our day or not? We're under the new covenant, you know, and therefore it's not for our day. For those who are unsure of what the tithe is, the word tithe means a tenth. Therefore, those who give a tithe are giving 10% of the gross of their income. If you give less than a tenth, you cannot rightly say that you're a tither. Just like you can't sprinkle baptize. Because baptism means to be immersed. Likewise, you can't tithe 5%. You can't tithe 5%. I'll get it right, Madison. Just give me some time. (laughs) You can say that you give, but you can't say you tithe. We have those in our church who are on both sides of the fence. We have some who say the tithe is not for our day and some who believe that it is. And ultimately, I don't care which side you're on so long as you agree that giving is commanded by God and blessed by God. But for fun, let's tackle both issues this morning. <laughs> law and grace. We know for sure tithing was required under the old law covenant. But since Christ fulfilled the law, has tithing been done away with as well? Well, you got to be careful how far you push the whole. the law has been fulfilled and done away with. It's really a phrase which has been abused. It's been perverted in our day. It's misunderstood. There are three aspects to the law of God. There is the ceremonial law, the civil law, and the moral law. For sure, when Christ died for our sins, He was the fulfillment of all the ceremonial law. All that which pictured the coming Christ and the shedding of His blood through animal sacrifices and all that. That was all done away with in Christ. Hallelujah. We no longer need to offer sacrifices. But how about the civil law? When it comes to the civil law, we need to consider the spirit of the law and not necessarily the letter of the law. There may be details of the civil law we don't follow exactly, but certain principles of the civil law we follow. I would say certainly we would. For example, Exodus 22, one says, If a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. That's great, but how many of you own an ox and sheep? <laughs> Probably not many of you. But the principle is, and we still should follow the principle today, and that is we make things right Amen. when we cause something to be wrong. We make the effort to make it right with our fellow man. So it's how we deal with our, our our fellow neighbors. What about the moral law? The moral law is something we all should obey all the time. You can't get away from the moral law of God. It's there all the time. For example, I don't think anyone in here would suggest that because Christ has died in rose again and ascended on high, that we no longer need the Ten Commandments in our life. That somehow those have been done away with in Christ. Now there are people out there that believe that, churches. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Honor thy father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Galatians 3.13 doesn't say that Christ has redeemed us from the law itself. But Galatians 3.13 tells us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Therefore, in the debate on what has been done away with and what hasn't, be careful how far you press that issue. So where does the tithe fit in all of that? That's a great question. One that I feel is moot because the principle of tithing, just like the Sabbath, existed before the law was ever given. God gave us the principle of the Sabbath when He rested on day seven after six days of creation. The Sabbath continued throughout the Bible. It certainly was under the law, and today we call it the Lord's Day, and we ought to keep it holy. Amen. Jesus said in Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So it was made for us, and it's It's perpetual. Since the Sabbath is before the law, during the law, after the law, we are content to say we need to keep the Lord's day holy. Likewise, tithing is something which shows up before the law, certainly was commanded during the law, and I believe shows up after the law. We'll talk about that here in a minute. I personally believe it is still for today. Tithing first shows up when Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek, who is called in the Bible the priest of the Most High God, the King of Salem, which the book of Hebrews explained means the King of Peace. And he is called the King of Righteousness. Now, who does that sound like? Christ is our our priest of the Most High God. He is our King of Peace. He is our King of Righteousness. In fact, Jesus Christ is called a priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's clear that Abraham was commended for tithing to Melchizedek in the book of Hebrews. Therefore, we too should tithe to our great high priest, who is both our King of Peace and Righteousness. And Abraham isn't the only example of tithing before the law. In Genesis 28-22, Jacob said that he would give a tenth back to God of all that God blessed him with. So the tithe existed definitely before the law. It was something that was commended. It was something that was practiced. It wasn't to earn favor, but it was to say thank you. Abraham had already gotten victory when he tied to Melchizedek. It wasn't so that he could earn the favor of God, but he was saying thank you to God. Since, the, since we all know, and I think we all would agree, the tithe was commanded under the law, we're not even going to go there. We're just going to say, yes, we agree with that. But how about after the law was fulfilled? Because that's the great debate. Jesus commended the Pharisees for being tithers in Matthew 23, 23 and Luke eleven forty-two. 42. Jesus, in upbraiding them, mentioned how they paid tithes, and then He said, these things ye ought to have done. Now the argument is made that, well, that was before Christ died, so uh, they were still under the old covenant. The new hadn't yet been established. Okay, fair enough. But then I would say, what about the book of Hebrews? Hebrews was written clearly after the sacrifice of Christ. Hebrews chapter 7 speaks of the tithe within the church age. And the argument given there is how Abraham paid tithes before the law, which I just mentioned. Hebrews 7, 9, and 10 says, And as many as I and as I may so say, Levi also, Levi came after Abraham, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. What in the world is Hebrews trying to teach us there? I believe it is this. Tithes were paid by Abraham before the law to the office of the Melchizedek priesthood. And since that is a priesthood without ending, we ought to pay tithes to our great high priest who is after the order of Melchizedek. And so, like the Sabbath, we find tithing existed before the law, during the law, after the law. Therefore, I personally believe the tithe is still for today. I'm personally with Pastor Kenny Baldwin who says, don't get nervous when I talk about the tithe. We haven't even got to your money yet. But you'll be glad to know I'm not going to try to convince you of whether or not the tithe is for today. So why did I spend all that time talking about it? I don't know, just to aggravate you. In all seriousness, if you're one that believes tithing is not for today because we are under grace, then that's fine with me because grace teaches that law is the minimum. Oh yeah, I got you on this one, amen. (laughs) In Matthew 5, Jesus gives a list of things that He says ye have heard. Remember that? Ye have heard this, and then He says, but I say unto you. And what He says unto them is greater than what they have heard in the law. Read Matthew verses 21 through 5, 21 through 48 sometime. You'll get all those examples from Jesus, but I'll just give you one. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. Ye have heard it said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Which law is is more difficult? Would you rather be under law of grace? I'm just simply saying what Jesus instituted, what Jesus was saying was, listen, you want to be under grace, that's a higher law. I'm not against any who are in the group of those who feel tithing isn't for today because I trust that God is saying unto you, but I say unto you, give more than 10%. What did Jesus say in that chapter in Matthew 5? Later on He said, if somebody compels you to go one mile, you go with them twain. So if you want to be under grace and say tithing is not for today, that's fine with me. Instead of giving 10%, give 20%. Boy, this is going over super well. Now, let me thoroughly depress some of you. <laughs> I'm so glad you came today. <laughs> there's more there's more Bible words for giving than just the tithe. There's the first fruits. There are offerings. So listen, we're just getting uh, the tithe is just the minimum. Okay, and if you're not on board with the tithe, that's fine, but that's the minimum. The tithe was a regular basis. For us, this would be our regular income. The first fruits were the best fruits at harvest time. First fruits are the best. We're not an agrarian society today, so some look at things like bonuses as a first fruit. I don't know, however, the Lord deals with you. Something that comes in as irregular from your normal pay. Some people look at that and say that's your first fruits. Whatever you receive as a reward for your labor above your regular pay. You may want to consider any irregular financial blessings as first fruit. Maybe you save fifteen percent on your car insurance. <laughs> that might be a first fruit. i trying to lighten it up, Shug. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> me personally, I'm, I'm just just me personally. When I get a first fruit, as what I would consider a first fruit, I always give at least ten percent of any blessings I receive. And I I personally keep track whether it's monetary or not. Somebody bought me a new suit to do this wedding. Okay, how much was the suit I tithe off of? That's just me. But we're not done yet. There are offerings. This goes beyond the tithe. But I want you to understand the offering was something that God took very seriously. In Malachi 3.8, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? What does God say? In tithes and offerings. Offerings. Now, we routinely give offerings around here. We take up love offerings for our guest speakers. We give to our missionaries. We give to churches and ministries as we are led by the Lord. But you should, never, you should never use your tithe as part of your offering. I'm trying to help you thrive in your walk with God, okay? Listen, if you don't want to give, that's fine. This church will survive without you. Amen. God knows our needs. I'm just trying to help you thrive. I, I can tell you from my own personal experience, when I learned to trust God in the area of finances, my spiritual life changed. Yes. That's a fact. It wasn't long after that I surrendered my life to God. It was the next month, Amen. November 98, I surrendered my life to God. Why? Because He finally got my wallet. Amen. Then it was in January of 99 that, I surrendered, that God called me to preach. And I'm telling you, there's something that happens when you decide to get serious with God and say, I trust God with my finances. Amen. So we give offerings around here is what I'm saying. It is above your tithe. Let me quickly say that the tithe goes to your local church. When you eat at a restaurant, let's say you go to Texas Roadhouse because you love their rolls and butter so much that you want to go there and, and eat. Amen, Breck. Breck and I were eating at Roadhouse one time. Listen to what this guy did. I was purposely saving two of those back for dessert. You with me on this? How many of you love those rolls and the butter? Amen. He reaches over and starts to eat them. I said, Brett, those were for me. I was saving them. He doesn't care. Soccer players don't care, amen? They just take what they want and they just eat it. Well, then that guy orders like a dozen of them to take home because Madison might want some. But my point is, you don't eat at Roadhouse and then go square your bill away over at Arby's. Likewise, Your tithe belongs to where you're being fed. That's your local church. Therefore, you shouldn't give 5% to Liberty Baptist Tabernacle and the other 5% to an organization outside of your church. If you want to give to another organization, that's between you and the Lord. Just do so outside of your tithe. I just heard a man on the radio a few weeks ago and I was wanting to preach at the radio, which is always helpful. And he said... It was one of those question and answer time kind of things. And so this guy's supposed to have it all figured out. And I thought, wonderful. And this person asked about the tithe. And he said, I think it's fine if you give a portion of your tithe to your church and a portion of your tithe to a parachurch organization because they need your money too. say, what's a parachurch organization? It's any organization outside of the purview of the local church. I don't know for sure, but just to give you an example to help you understand this, it may be something like the Samaritan's Purse. I don't know if they're under a local church or not, but groups like that. And so... He said you can give a certain percentage here. A certain... Listen, that's false. That's wrong. Whether you believe in the tithe or not, you first give through your local church. You're not given so that I can live large. You're not given so that we can have fancy buildings and all this. Listen, you're given because it's right to give to God. That's the means in which God has chosen through your local church. Well, I'm going to give to God because I'm going to give to, you know, when I was in the military, they always tried to get you to give to those charities every year. How many of you military guys know what I'm talking about? Well, I'm going to be right with God because I'm going to give my $5 a month to the YMCA or whatever. No, no, no. It goes through your local church. Once I learned this principle, I stopped giving all that stuff because I started to learn this. You understand part of the reason I became an independent Baptist because growing up Southern Baptist, only six cents to every dollar at the time was making it to the mission field. Why? Because there's people on a board they have to pay. They have to pay the salary. They have to keep them going. Listen, if you're in an independent Baptist church like ours, you give to missions, 100% of that goes to the missionary. Yeah. Yeah. Whoop. Now, they can choose to go through a mission board if they want, and there might be some fees there. That's fine. Our missionaries commissioned out of our church, they just use our church as their board, so to speak, and we do all that for them. That's why Sherry comes in and works in there. And it saves them money. But that, what I'm saying is this. All of that goes to them. But I'm going to get off track there. Um, give through your local church. Now, I should probably end this. It's after 12. And I don't want you disgruntled that I got you out of here late on top of talking about giving. I can only handle one complaint today. Amen. Got this wedding coming up and I'm getting a little stressed. Two, two weeks? Two weddings, yeah. Now Here's the emphasis today. Based upon our text, and and I'll close it. And like I said, I know we're just flying over these subjects. We could spend months on this topic. Based upon our text, if you're not giving to God, God doesn't have your heart. That's the bottom line. For where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. And you will never thrive in your walk with God until you learn the principle of giving to God. That's a fact. God said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Listen, I didn't get into this, and I sure wish I had time to get into all this. But you realize there's only one place in the Bible that I know of where God says, prove me. Right. Prove me, God says. Bring your tithes and your offerings in the storehouse. Prove me now herewith. say the Lord. host, see if I won't. Pour. Amen. Listen, God says, prove me. Amen. You want to find out if God is real? Let him get a a hold of your finances. He said, prove me. Are you proving God? I can tell you after years now, he's proven himself real to me. And I want to encourage you all, learn to give to God. You say, I can't. I've got that $700 a month suburban payment. Well, that was a dumb decision. Listen, that's another message for another time. And I just want to keep talking about money because i got to get it out now. This is like the one time I ever talk about it. Brother Jones, remember when he was here last time? Boy, he he waxed eloquently on giving, didn't he? I remember that message, brother. I can't afford to give. Somebody would say, well, you can't afford not to. Listen, I don't don't know about all that. And I'm not here to tell you if you don't pay your tithe, then God's going to get it some other way and put you in the hospital. I I don't know. I'm not God. But I can tell you what the black and white book chapter verse says. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Listen, if this area is lacking in your life, would you please get it right with God? Not for our sake, but for your sake. Let's pray.